Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am Michele Matarazzo from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. And in this first issue of this new series of podcasts, we are going to talk about the Mediterranean diet in Parkinson's disease. I am here with Professor Skarmias, who is joining us from Athens, Greece, and he is the senior author of the article titled Mediterranean Diet Adherence is Related to Reduced Probability of Prodromal Parkinson's Disease. This has been published in January issue of the Movement Disorders Journal. And uh, hello, Professor Skarmias. Thank you for being with us today. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, hi from Athens, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Nick Skarmeas, um, Associate Professor of Neurology at the National and Capodistrian University of Athens and also at Columbia University in New York. Thank you for joining us. And before we start discussing about the paper you recently published, I would like to talk a little bit about some background on the effects that diet can have on Parkinson's disease and on other neurodegenerative disorders. So, first of all, could you explain in few words to our audience what is the Mediterranean diet and what is so special about it? Why there is so much scientific interest on this diet and uh, what is the previous evidence that it can influence neurological or even non-neurological disorders? Uh, the Mediterranean diet is uh, what people in the Mediterranean or, or in certain parts of the Mediterranean used to eat in the 60s and the 70s. There was this famous study back then, the so-called Seven Country Study by Ansel Keys, and there the concept of the Mediterranean diet was developed. Summarizing, it's, a, it's basically a plant-based diet with a lot of fruits, vegetables, legumes, more fish rather than meat. And not a lot of saturated fatty acids, mostly monounsaturated fatty acids in the form of olive oil and uh, mild to moderate consumption of alcohol, usually in the form of wine and usually during meals. And this uh, dietary pattern since the 60s and the 70s has been demonstrated to have potentially beneficial associations with a series of medical conditions and diseases, including uh, neurological diseases. Uh, myself and other uh, others in the field have done uh, some work over the last few years on the associations with uh, of the Mediterranean type diet with uh, cognition and with uh, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's diseases. But uh, moving uh, from uh, you know a related to a certain extent uh, condition also of neurodegenerative nature uh, Parkinson's disease, there has been also some previous literature relating this healthy dietary pattern with reduced risk for Parkinson's disease. The literature is not completely homogeneous as it happens in biology. You know, we're not talking about a model. Uh, there are conflicts in this literature, but there is some support uh, that there could be some benefit there. Okay, so it really seems like this diet can have an impact on different levels in our body and in, the, and in our brain. But what about other types of diet or specific food in Parkinson's? Is there any specific evidence? Yeah, there has been some relevant uh, literature looking uh, either into other dietary patterns, other healthy dietary patterns, or into specific foods or food groups or nutrients. Maybe, you know, the time of a podcast may be too short to summarize, but I would say that overall, uh, it's a very conflicting literature. And uh, to my understanding and to my knowledge, I, I think there's no 
you know, consensus that a particular type of food or a particular combination of foods is definitely protective or detrimental or helpful and so forth. Uh, that also has to do with, uh, you know, the nature of uh, these diseases. We're talking about neurodegenerative diseases that have a very long uh, latent period for decades. And uh, for many of them, we have just started developing biomarkers for diagnosing them and particularly diagnose them early on. So all this complexity in regards to both the outcome, the neurodegenerative diseases and the way they manifest and the way we can diagnose them, and also the complexity of the diet uh, have made it uh, a very mixed uh, literature with not very clear evidence for uh, uh, that uh, would be strong enough to lead to uh, you know, firm recommendations uh, for the general public. Great, thank you for this more global perspective. And now let's talk about the findings of your study. So this is a population-based study of a large cohort of more than 1,700 participants of over 65 years of age. Uh, it was done in Greece and it's part of a wider project called the HELIAD, the Hellenic Longitudinal Investigation of Aging and Diet. So in this study, you focus on the relationship between the diet and the prodromal Parkinson's disease rather than the diagnosed Parkinson's. But for doing so, you use the EMDS criteria for prodromal Parkinson's that have been published in 2015. So why did you make this choice to focus on prodromal Parkinson's and to exclude people with Parkinson's disease? And uh, why did you decide to include only older people in your cohort? Okay, so, so let me start from the second question. Uh, this was from the beginning designed to be a cohort of elderly subjects. It's a population representative cohort and our aim was to uh, look into various neurological conditions and diseases, particularly neurodegenerative such as Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, but not exclusively them in relation to not only nutrition, but other lifestyle elements and so forth. So, so the, the, the population was over 65 because this was the design of the cohort, because this is where most of these neurodegenerative diseases are more common and where we would have enough power to see changes over time. So going back to the first question, why prodromal Parkinson's disease? So as we said before, there has been some literature on, uh, on associations of nutrition with uh, Parkinson's disease status. But these neurodegenerative diseases, we know they start decades earlier. So since we had um, information and relatively high quality information on most prodromal Parkinson's disease markers, we thought it would be an opportunity to try and investigate at an earlier stage of neurodegeneration try to go as early as possible. And actually, that's what we all try to do in this field and see whether we can detect associations earlier rather than later. It's also scientific curiosity because, uh, to my knowledge, this approach uh, hadn't been uh, uh, taken before because this MDS prodromal Parkinson's disease probability score has been originally developed to be used as a predictor of future development of Parkinson's disease. But we thought uh, that it may be scientifically interesting to use it as an outcome, provided that the information is there. And the last reason um, was also that most of the information on prodromal Parkinson's disease comes from uh, outpatient clinic cohorts. 
movement disorders cohort, uh, cohorts, uh, general outpatient neurology cohorts, and so forth. It's quite unusual to see published information on prodromal PD probability in the general population. So uh, we think it may be interesting, both from a point of view of uh, time scale and temporality of events going early into neurogeneration, but also from uh, the point of view of uh, scientific interest uh, in relation to the issues that I just raised. Well, I do think this is a very interesting approach. And now that we know a bit more about the methodology, uh, do you want to summarize to our audience what are the main findings of your study and uh, why do you think they're relevant and uh, how do you think that they will help us to move forward in understanding Parkinson's disease or in improving the care we can offer to our patients? Right. So, so um, as you said before, we estimated uh, an individual uh, probability for prodromal Parkinson's disease for each and every subject uh, in our population, so for more than 1,700 subjects. And we calculated an individual Mediterranean diet adherence score for each and every subject. So basically, we found that there was an association between these two scores. The higher the Mediterranean diet adherence score, the lower the individual prodromal PD probability. And we looked at this association in different ways. So I think the most important here uh, is uh, what does this mean? The association first seemed to be driven mostly by non-motor markers of prodromal PD, such as depression, such as uh, constipation, uh, urinary dysfunction, daytime somnolence. And the association uh, was not uh, strong with the motoric markers of prodromal PD. Uh, the, the interesting part is uh, what does it mean? So there are many potential explanations uh, uh, in my mind. First of all, uh, there could be a true association. In other words, maybe the way we eat affects some elements of uh, Parkinson's disease biology, and then therefore it affects uh, the score of prodromal Parkinson's itself. Another possibility is uh, reverse causality. We should not forget it's a cross-sectional study, right? So maybe in some people who have already started developing prodromal Parkinson's pathology in their brain, uh, in their gut, in their autonomic nervous system, uh, maybe this has resulted in changes of uh, their uh, dietary habits. It could be also that uh, the Mediterranean type diet is related to individual elements of the prodromal Parkinson's disease score, but uh, not necessarily relating to the Parkinson's disease biology per se. So, for example, there have been studies that suggest that um, um, the way we eat and the Mediterranean diet in particular may be related to sleep, quality and patterns may be related to depression and so forth. So maybe by having an association with the individual elements of prodromal PD, we have an association with the overall prodromal PD score. And of course, there are other possibilities. I think they're very uh, nicely outlined in the editorials that accompany this paper. So it would be interesting to see, in my mind, how this association develops longitudinally, what will be happening in relation to changes of uh, the prodromal uh, PD probability score over time. 
uh, and that may give us a better clue as to the directionality and the true nature of the association we observe. Great. So it really seems like the results support the idea of a tight relationship between diet and Parkinson's disease, even though the mechanism is still very complex. And surely there are uh, several hypotheses on the relationship between diet and neurodegeneration. And of course, this is a very complex topic and uh, there are still many unanswered questions, but especially with the increased interest in the prion-like hypothesis of alpha-synuclein spreading, one of the hot areas in Parkinson's research is the role of the so-called gut-brain axis and of the microbiota. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think we should interpret your results in view of the effects that the diet can have on the gut microbiome? I think this is a very valid uh, comment. Uh, so it's hard to know. It could be that, you know, what we eat affects our gut by microbiome. And uh, we know that this is a location where PD-related pathology has been detected and uh, indeed uh, very early on. So it could be a link where these uh, two factors could be connected. Uh, and indeed, we did see an association of the Mediterranean type diet with constipation, which is the closest, I guess, to the gut feature of uh, prodromal uh, PD probability. So I think it's hard to explore it further, but uh, it raises the question. Uh, I don't think we can address this uh, unless we have some information on the microbiota uh, and uh, wish us or somebody else could further uh, dig into this and explore it even deeper. Yeah, sure. So basically it could be, but obviously we need more evidence and more studies. Now, uh, in my daily practice and as myself, a lot of our listeners I see a lot of people with Parkinson's disease on a regular basis, and actually they're very interested in diet, and they ask a lot whether they should change their diet. Now, how do you think your research and your results impact the clinical practice, and do you feel that we should give some specific dietary recommendation to our patients based on your results? I think it would be too far uh, fetched because um, the direction and the content of this particular study is mostly of research nature. And it's quite uh, early to translate it into everyday clinical recommendations. It's the same even you know, for Alzheimer's disease where we have even more developed literature and stronger associations. Uh, what I would say is that... Um, it seems that we see some connections between healthy diet and the biology or the frequency of prodromal Parkinson's disease. It may make sense for patients to follow this diet because we know that it is um, helpful in other medical conditions and diseases, including neurological diseases such as stroke, for example, where we even have randomized clinical trial data. So given that we have some hints, some suspicions, some preliminary evidence that it may be beneficially related to neurodegenerative diseases, then uh, why not follow it? But uh, it may be important to frame it in such a way so that we can transmit to uh, patients the, the, the level of certainty that we do have right now. Great. Now let's finish this interview with a couple of questions on future perspectives. I've seen that the acronym HELIAD of your study include the, the word longitudinal in it. Now this makes me hope for longitudinal follow-up of this subject in the future, as this could be surely highly informative and this could also help to interpret the current data. Now do you actually plan to do that? 
Yeah, actually, we're already doing it. I hope that uh, we will be able to have um, data on about uh, 13 or 1400 subjects, you know, taking into account loss of follow-up and taking into account uh, mortality uh, in these older ages. We follow these subjects every three years. So we are close to completing this three-year follow-up. And there we want to ask many questions. You know, first, we want to see how does this prodromal uh, PD probability score evolve over time? Does it truly relate to PD incidence? Does it change uh, and at what rate? Does it increase or decrease? Uh, and how does it change for different people following a more individualized approach? And of course, we want to see which elements of this score change and to what direction. And finally, we want to see whether people's uh, nutritional habits do relate uh, to these changes in prodromal PD score. Okay, now more generally, what do you think it is the future of dietary interventions in Parkinson's disease and other neurodegenerative disorders? Or in other words, do you think there is a possible role in prevention or maybe even as disease modifying agents in these disorders? Yeah, you know, given this long latency uh, between the onset of pathology and the onset of clinical symptoms, neurodegenerative disease, you know, these terms prevention or disease modifications have become a little bit blurry because like in our case, uh, if uh, something that we eat uh, changes something in relation to Parkinson's, who knows whether it's primary or secondary prevention, if the disease has already started or not. But, but in general, I think that given this long latency and uh, our difficulties in uh, diagnosing these diseases, the neurogenitive disease at an early stage, it may be hard to perform huge clinical trials that will be lasting for decades to answer these questions. So I see a future in um, technological improvements and in our ability to advance the diagnosis through biomarkers. To be more specific, I think there's a lot of prospect in our ability to reduce noise and uh, measurement error uh, in uh, nutritional habits using um, omics technology from blood or using what the so-called smart plates and so forth. And then on the outcome side, we're moving more and more toward use of uh, biomarkers to diagnose these neurogenitive conditions earlier and earlier. And not only to diagnose them earlier, but also to distinguish different subtypes of these neurogenitive conditions that relate to different underlying either biologies or uh, genetic uh, forms. And we can use these biomarkers also uh, more and more as uh, outcome biomarkers, not only as exposure biomarkers. So, so I can see that, um, you know, having more detailed uh, technology and omics may be uh, aided assessment of uh, nutritional exposure and having a clearer outcome of neurodegeneration defined by biomarkers, we may be able to design smarter studies where particular aspects of nutrition will be related to particular subtypes of neurodegenerative processes where we would be able to see potential effects within a clinical trial setting, but uh, within a reasonable time frame. I know that people often want um, simple answers, but it's a complex problem and we have to adjust to it. And it will be a step-by-step -step process that has to develop, taking into account the complexity of the field. So many thanks, Professor Scarmias, for taking the time to speak to the MDS podcast today. 
and thank you all for listening. Well, uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm a fan of podcasts, as we said before we started, and I'm glad that the Movement Disorder starts uh, such an effort, and I hope it will, uh, it will uh, go great. Thank you.